and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. So unfortunately, we weren't able to record this past week, but what we do have is our first lost episode. So this was uh, probably back in January or February of this year, and uh, we recorded an episode on the Jackie Chan classic, Dragon Fist. Uh, unfortunately, this is when we were still attempting to use Zoom uh, amongst other programs, we were still experimenting what would be best for us to do our uh, recording in different locations. Uh, and this particular call, we had a lot of technical difficulties and uh, we thought it was lost. We thought the quality wasn't good enough. I recently stumbled upon actually the video recording and was able to salvage the audio from there. And it is still not of the highest quality, so I apologize in advance. But what it is, is a fantastic uh, analysis of a great film that we both highly enjoy. And I think uh, we bring a lot of cool knowledge and trivia to this episode. So I once again apologize about the less than stellar quality, but I hope you guys still enjoy. We will definitely be recording a new episode this week. So keep an eye out for that for next week. Anyway, here is our lost episode on the Jackie Chan film, Dragon Fist. And I do apologize, because I only went through and listened to bits and pieces of it, so I honestly don't remember everything we talked about. So there, we may be bringing up things that were happening at that time. So once again, I believe this was like January or February of this year, uh, 2021. Okay, and here it is, the lost episode. Enjoy. Okay. We are recording. Hello, good sir. Well, how's it going? Welcome, welcome. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> Let me get my filter. Let me get my filter. It's going good. So this is a special episode. That's right. Yes. It's for, I don't know. I ran out of material I, once I I, I think voice. we already lost uh, 20 of our 21 listeners. Oh, we have uh, 21? Well, you know, the funny part is we're, we're, we're significantly moving up. Uh, we, I have to say a lot of that I feel is, okay, so every time we post a new episode, right? You look at the metrics, you look at the numbers. Certain, it's a very niche one seemed to be popular. But after every time we post a new episode, the second most listened to one becomes, again, our interview with Sifu Alex. And then, like, everyone goes, and I feel like that one just keeps drawing people in. So, once again, thank you very much. Our friend Sifu out at e, uh, the now new Kung Fu Genius podcast. Uh, have you listened to it yet? Of course. I've, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fantastic. And the most recent episode they did with Matthew Pauly, uh, he got to yeah. ask my question on the air that I had for him. And uh, some great. And it's funny because when Matthew Pauly first released his book, the, the Bruce Lee one he wrote, which is phenomenal, like years ago now, he was on a bunch of the podcasts I listened to, and I listened to every one. I thought, well, there's not going to be anything new I learned, but no, there was. It was there. a significant podcast, and I, I, I mean, I love, I love listening to, to his podcast because I, I'm smiling and learning at the same time. Yeah, oh. almost definitely. Uh, and I look forward to when we can get on there. But uh, what's new? Anything new in the life of Gavin? Uh, martial arts related, non-martial arts related, movie related, non-movie related? Well, you know, uh, as, as all of our 21 listeners know, I, I uh, used to play soccer rather significantly. Uh -huh. And uh, I haven't been able to play in a while. And uh, at home, I've just been doing uh, my nitro kick, hung foot, uh, you know, kung fu that I'm, you know, learn from Don Nyam and I, I have to start seafood Don. I just had to say like this last weekend I went and played and I texted you about it. I was able to bust a move. I tried it five times because you know, it's a practice field. You got to keep trying. And I busted it twice. First time on one defender. And then uh, the second time on two defenders, mind you, we were playing two on two. So that, that was the maximum I could try it on. Now but this it was, was the, this was the groin kick technique, right? Yeah. The groin kick technique. It worked so well. Both of yeah. them went down. They went um, down like a sack of potatoes. Woodsies. <laughs> No, it's, uh, so basically it's, it's called the Zidane roulette where you just like kind of step on the ball and like do a three, not a three sixty spin, but like a one eighty spin and, and pull out of uh, the way. And I, I was, ne I, 
I tried to do it before. I could do it when a defender wasn't on me, but like to be able to do it when a defender was on me uh, was just fantastic. And it, it's definitely related to the kickboxing training that we both do with uh, Sensei PD and also the, the the Kung Fu training I've been trying to dedicate myself to at home with, uh, you know, through, through Seafood Dawn. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it was always, great. it's always cool, especially when it's just kind of almost unexpected or like, holy crap, I did it. I did yeah. it. So uh, congratulations <laughs> to you, my friend. Thank you very and much. Did you, did you guys win your two-on-two game, I hope? Uh, oh, we won multiple times. Yes. We, we kept doing last goal and last goal, and it just kept going up. And so I was playing with my old uh, my old River FC buddy, Jorge, who, who listens to the show. Oh, nice. Or, thank you. Thank you, allegedly, Jorge. Allegedly. allegedly. Yes. So, so let's we're going to find out. Yeah, let's talk crap on Jorge. Uh, and then if he gets back to you, like, yo dog, what's up, man? Why'd you talk crap on me in the episode? It'd be like, see, now, you know, one, one, one thing to talk crap about is he hasn't seen pedicab driver. Oh man. I know. Well, I told okay. him that's the movie. In Jorge's defense, I hadn't, uh, watched it till what would be, I think it was 2016 that they released that DVD, uh, through well, Warner Brothers did. It was like the Warner Brothers collection. As an actual collector's item, it was terrible. The, there's not even a menu. I think it's it just yeah. opens up. Not even a chapter menu. It just it just play. goes to the movie, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. no. It, there technically there is like you have the option to play, and but I think it's just that there's not even a chapter menu. However, the quality is fantastic. You know, it's yeah. not like a 2K restoration, but it's perfect, awesome. And so that was my first time finally getting to watch the movie. Now I had seen all the fight scenes on YouTube yeah. and online for years, but I just never had the opportunity to purchase it. So I will give Jorge the benefit of the doubt. There you go. Hey, well, we're, the, the plan is I asked him not to watch it and to wait to watch it so we can watch it together because that's just a movie to, to And that's any, any excuse you have to watch uh, a movie like that yeah. and then watch it with someone for the first time where they're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> oh, damn. She just had the baby and now they're throwing her back in the whorehouse. What? <laughs> Which uh, you need to see the movie to understand the reference I just made. Otherwise, like, damn, they watch some weird stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, what about uh, you? What's going on with you? I, I saw a post. You're like you're yeah. you're switching up your training a little bit. Yeah. So uh, kind of like what I wrote about online is for me, naturally, you know, and a lot of people are surprised and even Sugarfoot like never believed it. Like he thinks I was this you know, young Italian American athlete guys like now I was, I was a skinny Ralph Macchio karate kid type kid growing up, you know, and, and I was not naturally athletic and to add to all that, especially, you know, and I started martial arts when I was eight years old. I just was never that great at really any sort of sports. And once again, and I was, I was skinny as hell. And normally with those kind of kids, like, well, at least they can run forever. Yeah, no, I had terrible cardio, just naturally terrible cardio. So, and then I get into kickboxing when I'm in college. And I, as I always joke, it's like, I was lucky if I went one round, like when I used to do my old smoker fights. Uh, and then after that, it would just be a disaster. And a lot of that had to do with the improper training I was doing at that time. And then, you know, I, I my, my cardio got better and better than obviously the last uh, almost five years spent training with uh, our sensei Sugarfoot. And with the help of my teammate Herman, you know, I finally got my cardio to a more than competitive level. So for me, it's for over five years now, it's always been a split of like three days of like circuit training, you know, based around aerobic, anaerobic verse and all this, and then max three days a week of strength training. Cause that's something I brought into the game uh, at that point that I was decent at. And so now I'm like, you know what? I don't need to go as crazy with my cardio year round, especially if I'm not getting ready for a fight. So I've decided, and I just started yesterday, I'm doing a four day a week strength training routine now, which is nice because in the past, it's been a lot more, even now with circuit training, full body, very functional, but kind of more just to maintain muscular endurance. So now I'm actually splitting up my workouts. So they're not full body anymore. I'm doing push day, pull day, break, push day, pull day. But I, I'm still doing cardio six days a week and, you know, I'm doing a lot of two days now. So that's how I'm able to do that. Uh, and I'm excited. And I bought, you know, I have a whole set of kettlebells. It's very old school. A lot of uh, pinups, pull-ups, dips, snatches, swings, box jumps, stuff like that. That sounds cool. Yeah. So my legs are and, killing me right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But luckily, so it was, I did yesterday. 
And then I did today. And then tomorrow will be like my kickboxing circuit training. Uh, and I'm trying to go back to doing martial arts in some way, form or another every day. So like my second workout yesterday was kickboxing. My second workout today will be kickboxing, but more like I, I run my 5k and then I, I kind of just do whatever feels natural hitting the bag. That may be, you know what? I'm going to throw a hundred jabs just depending on how much energy I have. Right. But then tomorrow is going to be, and Saturday will be my hardcore like kickboxing circuit training. And so, yeah, it's fun. And you know, right now where I've, when I've got the extra time, why not? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent use of time. And I mean, yeah. it's, I, I love, I love following along, uh, you know, you're very, uh, I don't want to say transparent, but you're very open about your training process. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, you, I think you're sharing with like what, what, what your strengths were and what your, uh, I don't want, I don't like to say the word weaknesses because weakness doesn't exist, bro. Yeah. Hell no. Uh, Hell not no. on this it's podcast. A, it's, it's only weak if you let it control you. But yeah. the, the thing is, and you, you said the right word right there, transparency, and that's an irresponsible element of a lot of fitness influencers. And even in the past before social media, like here's the deal. I, I always encourage people, if you want to follow a fitness routine, whatever your goals are, you got to find someone that a inspires you, but B that you want to emulate yourself off of in the sense of, okay, let's say if you're a bodybuilder for me, I, I started off in like bodybuilding when I was college once and I was skinny and I wanted to put on muscle and stuff. It, you know, I was not short, I'm not tall, I'm five foot 10. I've got shorter arms and stuff. And so for me, like if I wanted to follow Lou Ferrigno's routine, you know, six foot five or whatever, this ginormous monster, it wouldn't make that much sense. And so I had to, you know, because he's just so big, right? And what worked for yeah. him might not work for me. And, you know, same thing as a fighter, depending on your style and what you want to do, you know, like if you're a, a striker, you, you may you, you may not follow the same training regimen as say like a Randy Couture, who's a grappler. But to add to all that, you know, a lot of these people, when it comes to fitness routines, whether it's an article in a magazine or a video online, it's just a snippet of what they're actually doing. You know, it's not yeah. the full routine because that's extensive. So I also encourage people usually if you buy a book, like someone's book, their training book or their coach that they go to training book, you know, it's a big fat book. Usually you will get 100% transparency, the full routine. And that's the best way to do it. Early on in my fitness journey, those are the things that helped me the most too. Not just the articles that were in the magazine where it's like my, my chest routine. Well, that was maybe like one day they do or like, yeah, utilize these exercises to put on muscle here. And it's like, but you're not telling me exactly how, is this a superset? Is this my horizontal push uh exercise for the week for one day yeah. uh, am i doing it for reps am i doing it for time and you know so and a, a lot of these kind of fitness influencers that you see on instagram and stuff that they're, they're not transparent like oh this is all you need to do and they're ripped and they have so much muscle mass you're like you are not just doing body weight stuff you know there's so much that you can do but this particular individual is obviously utilizing other modalities and other training methodologies that they're just not being a hundred percent straightforward about. So I always yeah. try my best. And if anybody ever has any extra questions, they can always hit me up and I'll tell them like exactly how much I run a week and this and that. And I mean, and, and it's also like, you know, I, I see these, uh, you know, eight minute, eight minute abs, of course. Mm -hmm. So it's eight minute and you just, you see the guy doing it or see the girl doing it. But at the same time, like they don't talk about like nutrition at all. Yeah. I mean, but how can the they within it? Like, yeah. The key factor. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see someone doing the eight minute abs, like going back and forth with a Big Mac in their hand. Yeah. Or the, the best part is eight minute arms where they're using like the canned food and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you're done, you open up these refried beans and just eat them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's what's going on with me. You know, uh, trying to make, as you said, a good use of my time. Uh, yeah. So back to two a days, but trying to be functional, not overdoing it, trying to look forward to every workout again, which has been nice. Yeah. That's great. And uh, been hardcore with my Chinese study again, starting on the new year. I've been consistent, nice. started up classes again, and they're finally going well for the first time in years. <laughs> Most time it's like I get on there and, you know, my, my wonderful teacher, she just can tell, like, I'm not remembering anything. And usually within 10 minutes into the <laughs> class, I'm like, why am I even on here? I haven't studied at all. Yeah. So we did our first class last week after me for a month and a half studying hardcore. And at the, I think it was the 45 minute mark. I, I was like, holy crap, we're at 45 minutes. And she couldn't like stump me once. I think she was, it was like back when I was in China taking classes with her in person. <laughs> so it's good. Just uh, trying to be productive, but enough about myself, enough about you. Let's talk about what we are talking about today. Which is, which is 
Oh, 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 very good. So for yeah. our, our viewers that can't see. Uh, <laughs> for our blind viewers. Yeah. Uh, Gavin did like the dragon fist uh, or dragon knuckle because what we were talking about today is the 1979 Hong Kong Kung Fu motion picture, Dragon Fist, starring the legendary Jackie Chan and directed by the infamous Lo Wei. So... <laughs> This was not necessarily pre-planned. It's just I was watching it, I think it was last week. I had started it a couple weeks ago, uh, turned it off, uh, put it back on. because so I, I absolutely love this film. And finally, on the Haya app on Amazon Prime, they had added a bunch of old school kung fu movies. They didn't have subtitles. Mm-hmm. I have the English dub version of this, you know. But finally, they've, they've been slowly adding the subtitles into some of these movies, this being one of them. So I figured, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll pick it up and watch this. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's the remastered one that uh, either Eureka or 88 Films in the UK released. Because it's just, yeah. it's obviously a 2K or 4K restoration. It's beautiful. It's it's really beautiful. Yeah, the Cantonese dialogue is, you know, crisp and remastered. And so I, I finished watching it last week and I was just like, damn, this is, and I've always thought this was such a good movie. And I'm like, we need to talk about it because it's often overlooked in the vast library of not just Kung Fu films in general, but Jackie Chan's movie specifically, because it came out in that weird period where he was transitioning from box office bomb uh, to box office gold. And it kind of sometimes gets swept up in that and gets uh, wrongly associated with some of his less than stellar pictures from that same era, which are, difficult to watch and even if you like watching them it's typically a nostalgia factor uh yeah. which i can attest to and i'm guilty of this one is definitely not the case but you, you could you could even say that dragon fist is the film in the eagle's shadow oh, oh. <laughs> my man so uh talking about this real quick let's i one of the things i like to do when we're talking about a specific film is when was like the first time you watched it, if you can remember. And it's funny, and I know it's the same with you. A lot of the times I really remember the first time I watched these films and they had such an impact on me. But for you, do you remember the first time you ever watched this? Because I know you, you needed to rewatch it, which is totally understandable. But Yeah, so so for me, I was first exposed to some of the films that, uh, well, basically I was exposed through the, to the movie library in Hiroshima, Japan. They had some of his Jackie Chan's old, uh, period pieces on there, which included okay. spiritual Kung Fu, which was probably my first spir- uh, spiritual movie, my first uh, period piece movie. Oh, wow. Uh, so like your yeah. first, what we would pretty much call an old school Kung Fu movie. Yeah, where definitely. That, and it's that's just, just like, part of the criteria. They have to be period set. Yeah. So, uh, and then I saw, I think after that drunken master and then snake and Eagle shadow. Uh, and then I came back to the States. And I think it was either from a blockbuster video in New York where I found half a loaf of Kung Fu and dragon fist. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, for me, remember uh, Jackie hit the scene in America, 1995, the release of rumble in the Bronx. It's a huge hit. And they immediately start giving both theatrical and VHS releases to films of his that had just recently come out. So Jackie Chan first strike got a theatrical uh, most of them got theatricals at first, and he would do his yeah. own dubbing for them too, for these re uh, the American English dubs. And uh, so Jackie Chan first strike got a theatrical release. Uh, Operation Condor got a theatrical release. Uh, Mr. Nice Guy came out around that same time and mm-hmm. some got a theatrical release. Even uh, Twin Dragons a little bit later got yeah. a theatrical release. And so I had, once again, I, I jokingly talk about this. My mom was very strict at that period of time about me not being able to watch R-rated movies. So I couldn't see Rumble in the Bronx until it was playing on edited TV, right? But mm-hmm. uh, Operation Condor, we were allowed to rent it as soon as it came out for rent at Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, wherever. Even our local video store would have had it because it was a, technically a major release at that point. So I had seen you know, all the, the big ones, right? But I hadn't seen any of his old school stuff yet. Really? So, wow. Yeah, this would have been... Circa 1998, okay, so 1998 is when Rush Hour came out. And so I think it was right after that. So I went to Best Buy and I bought uh, on VHS, they had this Jackie Chan pack of like his old school movies. Uh And uh, I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I buy that. 
And it's funny because this 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 pack, I believe there were two different ones, which pretty much had all of his starring roles from that low wave period. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I got the one I did because I've seen pictures of it. And so uh, just to nerd out, I actually have it right here. It survived the great <laughs> VHS purge of 2014. That's fantastic. Yeah. So the only one that still isn't in the box set is Fearless Hyena. I don't know what happened to it. But see, it's got like Jackie on the side with the peace sign yeah. and this artwork uh, style that's like to kill with intrigue. And I've seen other VHS tapes of this exact same thing, like uh, Snake and Crane Arts of Shaolin, Half a Loaf of Kung Fu, Spiritual Kung Fu. So there's three. There would have had to be like almost two more movies to make up the pack. So I don't know what, what mm-hmm. else would have been in it. But mine came with Shaolin Wooden Men, New Fist of Fury, To Kill with Intrigue, Fearless Hyena, Dragon Fist. And so there's like a nostalgia factor for me with To Kill with Intrigue. I understand it's not a great movie. And Shaolin Wooden Men is a great Kung Fu movie. It's got a really cool plot. Uh, uh, some amazing training sequences. The fights don't really stand the test of time. New Fist of Fury was never really my favorite. Uh, Fearless Hyena is for me personally is my favorite of Jackie's old school Kung Fu movies. Nice. But, and one of my just all time favorites, but dragon fist is maybe could be tied with fierce hyena. And it's just, it's just a step above all these other aforementioned ones he did when he was kind of like a box office bomb, you know, whether it's new fist of fury, Shaolin one men kill with intrigue, half a loaf of Kung Fu, all these other ones, the, the, the fight scene, just something, Change. Something evolved when he did this film. And so, yes, it was released in 1979, but what people need to understand is it was filmed in 1978 with Spiritual Kung Fu. These were the last two of his original run that he did for the Low Wave Picture Company. And by this point, his movies were just, they were losing money. So they shelved it. It didn't get released. And then that's when Low Wave was like, yeah, fine, I'll, I'll lend you up to seasonal films and NGUN or NG as uh, he's usually called in English. And that's when he made Snake and the Eagle Shadow. Drunken mm-hmm. master. And then suddenly he has all these big hits. He goes back to Lo Wei, uh, just Fearless Hyena, massive hit. And then so Dragon Fist and Spiritual Kung Fu get released at that point. And I, and it's not like they were huge box office hits. Uh, I mean, I have the numbers. I think it, it made 1 million Hong Kong dollars, which is not big at all. Uh, a big hit at that time. Like a, a good hit would be, I think, around 17. And a massive one would be in the early, I would see the, the low 20s to 30s, right? Those were like Jackie's biggest ones, usually grew up around 30 million Hong Kong dollars in Hong Kong. But uh, I, I, I would hope so on that last point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, whoop, my mic was moving there for a second. Hold my And it's interesting because as I said, there's this whole nostalgia factor, but the thing that also kind of backs up a lot of my argument about this film being so good is I finally just recently watched Snake and Crane Arts of Shaolin for the first time, shamefully. Mm -hmm. I had never gotten a copy of it as a kid. And then uh, I finally on the Haya app, the newly remastered version, they put on there and finally has English subtitles. And they first put it on there. They put it on there in Mandarin, which, uh, you know, I can... uh, it's really hard to keep up with period set films for me in Mandarin. I compare it to Shakespearean English. I usually don't know what's going on. Whereas I can put on, for example, the other day when I watched where's officer tuba, I will put it in Mandarin to practice. And I, I was just because of my two months of intensive studying, I was like doing quite well, not to do my own horn. You know, I was at like a 75% ratio because it's just so much more basic. Like, Hey, where are you going? What's going on? Chase him. Stop. You know, no, don't do that. Like real basic stuff, but either which way they finally put in sub- subtitles on it. They switched to Cantonese. And so I watched Nathan Crane Arthur Shaolin and man, I did not like it. It was not good. And the fight scenes were this much more old school flowery, still peaking opera style, which, you know, even new Fist of fury had to kill with intrigue had, but dragon fist has this, amazing look the fight scenes that it's interesting because obviously they didn't get released till after he suddenly became this big star but it's just crazy to me that they they couldn't see what they had there and realize this is going to be awesome this guy's going to be awesome but i guess he had just failed so many times before yeah and that they were just because as, as compared to the the flowery movements of say Think of Crane Arts of Shaolin, where he's doing a lot of this weird, like, flappy hand stuff, and it's, you know, oh, oh, animal, animal. It's There's something, in Dragon Fist, it's 
these clean, crisp movements uh, that are compact, but super impactful in nature. And well, it, it also has this just solid aesthetic with where you've got proper body alignment and rapid fire progression. And I think it has something to do with, and I went back to try to reread his old biography because I, uh, you know, where he talks, I remember at some point he talks about getting out of the opera and studying boxing uh, and Wing Chun. And we all know he went to Korea and did Hapkido and stuff, but I couldn't find it. I'm going to reread the book later, but, and I feel like maybe it has something to do with the, the studying of, because it's very Wing Chun in nature, a lot of the stuff. He does chain punches. And no, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say, look, it's good Wing Chun technique. I just think he was inspired by that and made that kind of transition. You, you know what's you know funny about uh, Dragon Fist for me is as I'm watching it, like uh, with, the, with the master, you know, who's fighting with the, with the uh, cane at one point, right. the way that he's throwing the kicks and then his student is helping him. So you got like two kicks coming and three kicks yep. going. The, it, there's a lot, there's a, some foreshadowing of the choreography that Jackie does in Young Master and even in Dragon's Lord. In those sequences, you can see where he's going, where there's this dominant master who's dominant with his kicks and with one-legged kicks in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the the chambering punches. I'm like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is a <laughs> this is a it man beating up uh, the the Japanese in uh, you know he just he's like chambering on them, you know. And it, again, I know that that it's cinematic Wing, wing Chun at best, right? right. You're seeing sequences that are that are like that, uh, and obviously before Jackie was doing these films, he was doing a lot of like he was, you know, slipping in a lot of comedy. So he has this great comedic timing in his fights throughout his whole career. But what he did by taking out the humor, so you know, I, I know I did the the, the dragon knuckle, uh, you know, but in a lot of the scenes, he's still using the comedic timing, but it's tied into a dramatic uh, script where he's opting not to kill uh, the people he's fighting. So he goes in and then he slaps them, but it's not. So it's almost like the comedic timing, but he's taking the comedy out of it. So it's, he's showing like this righteousness, his character has righteousness on his side. And, you know, even in the final melee, he shows up wearing all white. I mean, there's like, there's, uh, you know, there's allusions to like Hopalong Cassidy at this point. Although I don't know if Hopalong Cassidy wore all white, but you know, Bad guys wear black, good guys wear white, unless, you know, unless you're in the Chuck Norris movie. But the whole the whole concept of, you know, the, the comedic timings there, there's a lot of stuff that's foreshadowing in this particular film uh, that's that foreshadowed choreographically in future films. And there's and, and then, of course, there's also some spiritual kung fu, like there's some great camera angles and great uh, segment sequences that we should get into. But like. In spiritual kung fu, when I first watched that, there's a lot of like fisheye lens stuff going on, mm-hmm. uh, which was maybe a little too much. But in this film, there's just two sequences with some fisheye lens stuff, so you can see some good footwork and handwork happening at the same time. And you know, I don't know how fisheye lens like holds up. It's just like watching an old 3D movie; it doesn't necessarily hold up. Yeah. But you know, he's he's experiment. Yeah, he's he's experimenting at the, at that point in time, and it kind of uh, for me knowing where he shot it and how I think he shot it just shortly after half loaf of Kung Fu. Where right. I, and when I, and when I watched that movie, I'm like, uh, is this the movie that almost broke his heart? Is this the movie that almost like made him like want to get out? Mm. Uh, and then, uh, and then of course he got, he got uh, loaned out and then these films were also shot. And then, once he got over to Golden Harvest and did Young Master, then everything took off for him. Right. So um, it, it, a lot of times this film is misrepresented as being like the first great no comedy Jackie Chan movie that he did. Or, uh, and in retrospect, with his like classic films, yes, most of them had an element of comedy. But in his early movies, a lot of them were not really comical at all. They might have small little comedic pieces, but even when you look at, say, To Kill With Intrigue, I mean, that was a pretty dark movie. Shaolin Wooden Men, that may have had some, you know, had some comical elements within the training. New Fist of Fury, like a lot of these weren't, but you, you are correct. Right before Dragon Fist was the beginning of this era where the Cantonese Kung Fu comedy was beginning to take over. And he had experimented with spiritual Kung Fu, with half a loaf of Kung Fu. Like you watch the opening sequence of 
spiritual kung fu and it, it looks like drunken master right you know yeah. he's balancing this stuff and so and it was when he got loaned out to seasonal films when this film got shelved that those two cantonese kung fu comedies put him on the map and that's all you wanted at that point so that's another yeah. reason why even when this one got released because it wasn't the current trend why it might have not done as well in the box office but when it comes to the fight scenes I mean, I feel the overall fight scenes in this film are actually superior to Snake and the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Matcher, really. Uh, I mean, obviously, the finales of both those films with Huang Jingli are incredible. But overall, I enjoy the fight scenes in this film much more. And I feel, and you know, we've talked about the, the critically nature, the, the impact, just very solid. Everyone's technique looks great. And I feel like here, that has to do with, you know, Jackie's the choreographer. But he was the choreographer of a lot of these previous films. And it's not director Lo Wei. He worked with director Lo Wei plenty of times. He also worked with other directors where the fight scenes didn't turn out the best. It was just something about him hitting his stride here. And I feel like what is often overlooked is a lot of the time, Samuel Hung, and rightfully so, is given credit for being the director that makes everyone look their best, right? But in this film, Jackie's obviously the action director, and he's making everyone look fantastic. But that also makes him look better because these fight scenes, there's not the wild punches. There's not the wild kicks, right? We have hard-hitting, fast. It almost looks like Hong Kong New Wave cinema in a few years, kind of the yeah. golden age of the what we love to call the kickboxing style choreography, that kind of editing, that kind of camera uh, movement or staying static when it needs to, right? Or uh, tracking shots occasionally. And I think it just has to do with Jackie. Like, I don't know. I would love to see what, changed in I know, it, other films in this one for him it, it's it seems like before he shot this film and you know this, this is just me projecting but again the character wearing all white there's 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 definitely elements of was he just like watching a lot of westerns at that time and then mm. the sequence where they're going to look for fatso uh james tian and um I'm sorry, the actor who worked with James Tan, who was like partnering with him for a little while. That, that would be the great Eagle Han Ying, who we'll talk Thank about you. a little bit later. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when they're going through the, through like the paper doors uh, segment, looking for Fatso, like the camera work in that, it's just like this, I, I obviously paper, do paper doors, you know, I go, I go to the samurai movies and the samurai TV shows I would watch when growing up, but like, it's just like, there's a, there's something very classical about this film in particular and it, and, and um, without the comedy aspect as well, it's almost like Jackie saying, Hey, I can, I can play this heavy lead and I can do it better than anybody. And uh, so instinctively you'd think, well, isn't that the director? But Lo Wei was notorious for not necessarily being a very hands-on director or even, you know, it's so funny when he's portrayed in a lot of the Bruceploitation films, like where yeah. Bruce making a movie, it's like he'll be sleeping, you know, or doing something ridiculous. So I'd imagine it might come down to whoever the cinematographer was. Yep. And probably Jackie doing a lot of hands-on stuff. And it's interesting you say that because in my bit of reviewing his original biography, I Am Jackie Chan, which I still have my original one from back in the day, uh, <laughs> He talked about like in in-between periods where he wasn't getting any stunt work, he would just try to go to the movies. You know, like Sound of Music was his favorite movie. So he was, uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, a student of cinema. You know, he yep. liked Western cinema. He learned from this, right? So if he had the chance to try to have a little more control and implement this kind of stuff, it obviously paid off. And look, he became one of the most brilliant action filmmakers of all time. Yep. So let's let's get into talking about the actual picture. Plot-wise. It, once again, as you said, very serious in tone, nothing too original. The basic concept is Jackie's master, his Sifu, wins a big Kung Fu tournament. He's like the, the greatest in the land. And in their celebration, uh, another clan shows up, another uh, master played by the great Yen Shi Quan, uh, who unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of information out there on him. You know, I, I honestly don't know much about his background. He's always made to look older, but I believe he was probably closer in age to what would be the generation before Jackie. And so I can only assume he was probably at the Peking Opera with, mm -hmm. uh, say, maybe more like Yuan Ping, that age range, the one that was before Jackie and so forth. Uh, he's had a lot of famous roles later on. He'd have a career resurgence of sorts where he was in Once Upon a Time in China and Iron Monkey. But uh, he also played the villain of Fearless Hyena, which is my absolute favorite. But in this, he shows up, he challenges Jackie's master, and he kills him takes their school sign, destroys it, which for anybody 
I'm assuming most people listening to this watch kung fu movies. If you destroy destroy the school sign, uh-uh, that's a no-no. So he returns home feeling victorious, and the re- we find out the reason why this master showed up is because years before, years before Jackie's master had had a relationship with his wife when they weren't even together. Yeah. So this was just, you know, he was bitter about it. And so he returns home thinking he's like this badass and his wife commits suicide and he yeah. realizes the wrong he's done. And so fast forward a couple years later, Jackie, his master's wife and his master's daughter. Uh, oh my gosh. Now my Cantonese is terrible. I'm trying to remember the title for uh, your, your seafood. Is it, is it Seasuck? Simo. Simo. Uh, sorry, Sifu Alex. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they show up wanting revenge. So they, they come to Yen Kwan school and stuff, and they find out he's a cripple. He chopped off his own leg as a sacrifice. Yep. And so now... And, and he also made a, a, a sign for the school that he had destroyed that in all correct. gold. Right. Uh, hold on. I've got to look up this title. AJ is cheating right now. He's using Google. Yes, I am. Uh, damn it. Okay, hold on. Martial Kung Fu title. But so either way, uh, Jackie's master's wife decides she doesn't want to take revenge anymore. You know, there's no point. Jackie's kind of like, what the hell? I've just been training nonstop for like three years. And he's a much better fighter than his little bit at the beginning of the movie, right? Uh, and so, but then what happens is... The, uh, his, the, uh, his master's uh, wife gets sick. So he's forced yeah. to work for this evil gang in order to get the medicine to keep her healthy. And in turn, you know, ends up being in conflict with uh, Yen Chi Kwan's clan. And then at the end, it ends up with this whole plan by the evil clan to poison the master's wife. And then blah, blah, everyone teams up fights. So that's the basic premise. I probably went into more detail than I even needed to. So it's just like a lot of classic Kung Fu movies sets us up for a lot of stellar killer fight scenes. So aside from Jackie, we've talked about how Yen Chi Kwan is in this. He plays what begins as the rival master, but then has mm-hmm. a whole character involvement and development where he realizes the error in his ways and he becomes a whole different character than at the beginning. There's this angry, bitter guy. And instead he's like, yo, I chopped off my leg. He's a lot more Zen. He's a lot, you know, and so we also have, as you mentioned, James Tien. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I would love to talk to you, uh, have you speak to James Tien's uh, martial arts skills or Kung Fu skills, because I've always wondered about him because he has such a great film presence, whether it's uh, the friend, the mad, the, the, you know, he has such a great film presence. He seems like to me that there might be uh some cinematic fighting rather than um, a lot of training in the background, but hundred uh, percent. And so it's funny doing research on him. It's like, once again, there's not a whole lot of set detail uh, according to the, uh, the research you do on the internet. Uh, he was born in Guangdong, but the one thing we do know for a fact, I do an interview with Robert Tai is that he was a Peking opera student in Taiwan at the Fusheng Opera Academy, which was okay. And remember, in Hong Kong, there was the, the two like rival ones. There's the one, the Seven Little Fortunes, where Jackie and them. Then there was another one where like Li Hoi Tan and a lot of those other guys came out of. But in Taiwan, they had the Fusheng Opera Academy, which is where Angela Mao came out of. A lot of the Five Deadly Venom guys, Lu Feng, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Tai, so forth, so forth, uh, a, a director, microopera from that era. And then also James Tian. And the interesting part is, from what I've read online, is James Tian was born in Guangdong, so Cantonese or Canton. He moved to Hong Kong with his family when he was 16. So I I don't know if that means he moved to Hong Kong when he was 16, then went to Taiwan to train the Peking Opera, because that's awfully old to go start training in the Peking Opera. Peking Opera, you start when you're like five, six, seven years old. Uh, and so I can only assume maybe they left China, went to Taiwan. He trained in Taiwan. Then they moved to Hong Kong. But that being said, he doesn't have the same physicality as, say, someone like Jackie, who trained from age 7 to 17 and was this incredible martial artist. He looked more like a guy that started at age 16, and maybe he trained a few years. So I think maybe that is the timeline of, uh, you know, he arrived in Hong Kong at age 16, somehow ended up at the opera in Taiwan. I don't know. So he trained at the Peking Opera, but 
unlike a lot of his contemporaries, he obviously does not have the same skill level. But, you know, he's had a lot of physical roles. He had a lot of kung fu roles. But I can hands down say this is the best he's looked in any movie. Oh, I agree. Because you, usually when you see him, it is sort of like that wide, like overacting like hits yes. that, that he's doing. And this one, he's like, he's controlled. And I mean, you know, we can, you know, when, when you say he, he might not have the physicality of other of, of his contemporaries, mm-hmm. one thing he did have was the acting chops to really actually catch you off guard with some twists. I mean, and spoil alert. I mean, can we spoil? Oh, yeah, we can, can spoil because right? if, you know. It's been out for a little while. Yeah, it's been just a little bit. But okay, so it seems like in a lot of his movies, he does this, I'm with this side, and then all of a sudden he twists and he's with another side. I, I feel like I've seen that at least twice or maybe three times in his career. Mm-hmm. I think Half a Love of Kung Fu, he did that as well. Could be wrong on that. That area gets a little murky with me. But the way he does it in this film, you know that there's somebody on the inside of the patient's clan. You know that there's somebody on the inside. And like my history with James Tian, and I'd already seen the film, it was like, I know it's him. But at the same time, it's like, it can't be him, right? It's got to be somebody else because there, there's a great line early in the film. And, and I, I'm, I, maybe I'm sidetracking us, but I had to write it down when he faces Jackie Chan early on and he can't beat him. And then he goes back to his master and he says, why am I no good? Why is he better? I'm like, right. I have to write these lines down because it's not just about his Kung Fu. He's also like having this moral dilemma, like in hindsight. I mean, I don't know if this is just the, the translation and uh, whoever wrote the translation is like uh, foreshadowing for us, but, there is a reason why he's no good. And there is a reason why he's not mm-hmm. better because even though Jackie Chan is with the gang members, he's righteous. And even though James Tian is with the patient's clan, he's, he has a dark heart, you know? Yeah. And then, that, and you know, the, the way he, he switches over and just starts beating his master. Like the, yeah. the master does not have a leg. He's on the ground. He's like, just like pounding on him. It's like, okay, this is like an MMA fight at one point, but. And you know, people watching it or even hearing this, well, we've been watching for the first time. They might be like, this is a bit of a stretch, but guess what? It just works. You're just like, duh, duh, yeah. duh, what? Yeah. And uh, you are hundred percent correct. And you, you it, it's hinted out throughout the film. Yeah. And then in that ending, you see why, but Physically in this role, yes, I was rewatching it a bit this morning. He is doubled, especially with like uh, some slight kicking stuff, which also leads me yeah. to believe he did not have an extensive peeking opera background. Otherwise, he wouldn't need these kind of random doubles. Uh, there's nothing too complex. But in earlier roles, people might be like, oh, well, you know, uh, it, like there's clips in The Big Boss where he does like a jump flying sidekick and, you know, hit the Thai stunt guy in the head really hard. And it's like, well, see that? Well, that's more the, the Thai stunt guy taking a kick to the head because the actual yeah. kick he does himself is kind of sloppy, the big movement. And in this film, he just looks so solid. His, his moves are crisp. They're clean. Like we talked about all the choreography in this film. And this goes to show once again how a maybe underrated Jackie is at making people look their best because let's look at who he had already worked under as a fight choreographer and or director, uh, Bruce Lee in both the big boss and fist of fury. Uh, he had worked under Samuel Hung and John Woo in a film like say hand of death where, you know, I love hand of death, but he's, he's not as physically, uh, intimidating in that film even yeah. though he's supposed to be the big, strong leader, he does like a lot of these windmill punches, but in this film, he looks strong. And on top of that, it has costume design for him was great in this film because he looked like a big brooding individual. And I will say it's obviously kind of what I like to call fussel, fake muscles. He's made to look like this big, strong guy, which in, in actuality he wasn't, they just dressed him perfectly. And yeah. if anything, he's probably slightly overweight, but he just looks like a super strong husky guy. And the only other movie where he would look that great uh, again would be, I mean, Fearless Hyena, where he plays Jackie's grandpa. He'd have a short, like, little chance to kind of do some great stuff again in Prodigal Son, where he plays the crippled one-arm master in that brief fight mm-hmm. sequence against Frankie Chan. But otherwise, like, this is his shining moment as a performer. And I, I also, you're, you're forgetting how, how well he died with uh, Yun Hua. Uh, and Dragons Forever, Cyclone Z. No. Yeah. No, but I mean, so joking aside, I mean, this, uh, uh, and that I don't know why I say joking aside because it's not a joke, but. Yeah. Um, you said you wouldn't kill me. Yeah. No, he's, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's something that there, he, he helps add a layer to films. And then you're right about Jackie Chan, like sort of like making people look good, but he also, so in the fine, in like the final fight sequence before he does his turn, 
you don't see him so much. And so that's when the audience starts can start to think, oh, why isn't he fighting so hard? Maybe it's because mm-hmm. he's actually on the other side, but it's also because he's not as adept to doing some of the fight sequences that those who are in frame are doing. So he's off frame fighting one-on-one while, while uh, the master, the daughter and his other student are all working together. And then Jackie, they're fighting Jackie and then Jackie's with them at one point. So it's, it's like, you're seeing all the top fighters together and then he's off to the side again, because Jackie isn't going to put someone in a position to fail. You've never seen that in one of his films. So he puts people in a position to succeed, which then helps him shine even more. Yep. And so he gets to really shine this film, but it's a shame that his little sidekick you were asking about, we don't get to see more of, who is Eagle Han Ying, who... Fantastic. Yeah, really good. You only see him briefly. Like, for most viewers, they probably best remember him from this film and his short but sweet opening sequence in Fearless Hyena, where, mm-hmm. the, once again, Yen Shi Kwan, who plays uh, the evil master in that film, it's pacing him down. They're running through the forest. He has that quick fight scene. You see him do like a windmill, like breakdance move off the ground. His kicks are phenomenal. And he's another one where it's hard to find information on him. So uh, he is Korean. We do know that. And I've read rumors over the years. And it's funny because I went to Google search this morning when doing research, and I now can't even find it written down really anywhere. But I read years ago that he was a expert at seven star praying mantis, which really for people not familiar with Chinese martial arts, you have to remember, there's not just certain styles. Then there's certain regional versions of the style. Then there's like styles that share the exact same name and they're completely different. So for example, praying mantis is maybe just from my personal experience of research, one of the most complex because Northern praying mantis, which is the one people are most, it's most identifiable people recognize is the, you know, the movement like this, it's done, it's the wushu performance type one uh, that's very popular. But then there's Southern praying mantis, which uh, famously, Lo Meng, the uh, of the Five Deadly Venoms, I believe the only one actually from Hong Kong. That was the style he did growing up, and it has much more hands, like kind of like this, and it's a very hard Southern style, like and if I'm not mistaken, Seven Star Praying Mantis was actually dominantly from uh, Tianjin and then Taiwan. So I don't know. I read that that's what he was an expert in. However, I've always suspected that his background is. Taekwondo. And I don't just mean like a little bit. I believe he was probably a master and or expert in Taekwondo because his kicks are just, they're not, especially that period of time, Chinese style kicks, not Northern style, not Southern style. They are Taekwondo, explosive, high, powerful, just done with such ease that maybe he's he's someone, say like a Huang Jing Li that, you know, learned Kung Fu later on. Uh, and I think I think it's his presence and uh, particularly the fight sequence between he and Jackie at one point, and then also mm-hmm. when he's working at the very end with with Jackie, uh, and with his master, is where you actually get that uh, foreshadowing of the kickboxing aspect that comes in to nice. play later. I yep. mean, just to just he's turning his body over like with his kicks, which is indicative of his Taekwondo. But like, and, and did you notice? Uh, and it's funny because you talked about the the single leg. Uh, villain kicking. So Yen Shi Kwan, our you know, rival master, who then becomes our ally who chops off his own leg. And that opening fight sequence where he kills Jackie's master, he's doing a little bit of that kicking. Did you notice? Yep. And he's yes, obviously yes. not a Taekwondo practitioner by trade, but it's a little bit of like, bah, bah, bah. you know, it's funny yes. that you see early elements of that uh, in that fight sequence as well. And for listeners that want to see more of Eagle Han Ying, I mean, he made some Korean movies, some uh, uh, Hong Kong movies. His like probably the most famous roles are this and Fear of Hyena, but he was also the lead villain in a lower budget Gordon Liu movie from a few years later called Shaolin Drunken Monk, which is mm-hmm. where that was like his biggest role. And that was the clip, the, the clip that we saw in the Top Fighter documentary and where you see him fighting Gordon Liu on the beach. And so that's where you get to see him shine the most and do a lot of his martial arts. And he unfortunately passed away in the early 2000s, I think. So uh not, once again not a whole lot necessarily known about him uh did you have a final thought on him i saw you write something down real quick oh no i, I actually wrote down i need to rewatch shaolin drunken monk oh nice yeah, yeah that one's on amazon prime for sure because people yeah, forget you, you think of gordon Liu and shaw brothers and all these super like for that period high budget 
beautiful, extraordinary pictures he did. But a few years later, especially as it was switching more to contemporary, they were still doing the Shaw Brothers ones, but the output was a little bit less. And so I feel like probably just to pay the bills, you know, there's a couple of these super low budget Gordon Liu ones. And some of them are actually really good. And we can maybe even talk about one of these ones, one of these days. And I enjoy I Shaw Drunken Monk. It's a little weird, but uh, <laughs> it's it, Gordon Liu's great whatever he does. So yeah, he, he, he's got great presence and like, yeah, just, he, he's a, he, for me, he's almost like, uh, I, I really just like making comparisons between people because it's unfair, but the way Donnie Yen, uh, just absorbs whatever martial arts is going to be featured in that film. I feel like Gordon Liu used to do that in his films. He just, he's a, he's a sponge he learns and he's going to give you as authentic as possible, uh, on screen. Yeah, and obviously, so Shell and Drunken Monk, by the time it came out in uh, 82, at that point, Drunken Master was already huge. He was most famous for being, you know, Sante, the Shaolin monk. So obviously, you're going to combine two very popular elements, his Shaolin <laughs> yeah. character and Jackie's Drunken character, because it's the Shaolin Drunken Monk, and it's a lot of, you know, the, the grabbing and, you know, clawing elements like that. But so some other people that are in this film we haven't mentioned, really the only main significant we haven't, I think at this point, is Nora Mao. Most yes. famous for being Jackie, Jackie, Bruce's co-star in, uh, you know, is, uh, the big boss. She has a small cameo mm -hmm. as the ice vendor. She's in uh, Fist of Fury as his, oh, I just saw a little mark on my laptop. Sorry. Uh, Fist of Fury as his love interest. She's in Way of the Dragon as his potential love interest. And so she plays Jackie's punk uh, sister. And once they, she doesn't really do any action. She's just kind of there for the ride. But it's interesting because like most of Jackie's low-way pictures, in fact, I want to say almost all of them, this one's shot in South Korea. And that's the mistake a lot of people make. Even I've even heard well-established film, uh, Kung Fu film critics and pundits talk about like, oh, well, it's shot in China. You have to remember at this point, 1978, China was just sort of starting to right, open back up. I believe they had just opened up to the West. And you think, well, it's Hong Kong. Well, slightly different. Hong Kong was a British colony still at that point. And there's no reason for them to go to China where they had no resources and no like major film production companies to shoot. Uh, and when was the first, was it 1980 that the first U S embassy opened back up in China? Something around that point. So really there wasn't, they weren't going to China to shoot a lot. Yes. The Shaolin temple had come out in like 78, 79, the Jet Li one, which was backed by Hong Kong money. But really I feel like it wouldn't be until uh, martial arts of Shaolin, like in 85, where Long, mm -hmm. uh, Gar Long came over and directed Jet Li and so forth. So really, these films that people often think, oh yeah, it was obviously filmed in China, because it sure as hell ain't Hong Kong, especially the winter ones. You're like, well, it doesn't snow in Hong Kong. Uh, they were filmed in like either one or two places, the, these period ones, it's gonna be Taiwan, or it seems more often, especially with the low A pictures, Korea, South Korea. Yeah, And you see that in obviously these big, beautiful set pieces, right? And I kind of wonder, because they look Chinese in nature, but then I think to myself, well, maybe I just think they're Chinese because I'm being told they're Chinese and they put up Chinese signs. Maybe this is actually more Korean architecture. Either which yeah. way, it, it sets these films apart from, say, like the Shaw Brothers ones, which were all shot on a studio indoors. I, you know that, I Go ahead. Oh, no, that's really interesting because like, I, I was really... I just really loved the sequence where they're going, you know, looking for Fatso again, like through the, through the, yeah. in, in, in Japan, they're called the Shoji doors. Right. And, you know, they don't look like Japanese uh, Shoji doors and the hallways mm -hmm. are constructed a little differently. The ceiling's a little higher, I think. I mean, maybe, maybe that's just because of the way it's shot, but I also hadn't seen that in uh, Hong Kong films or Chinese films. Like it looked different. So all of a sudden I thought they're like, they constructed this, to look sort of like a samurai film, but now it makes sense that it was, of course, in high, and I mean, I looked up afterwards and saw that it was shot in South Korea, but it, it, of course it makes sense that, oh yeah, it's shot in South Korea. That's why the architecture, at least on the inside, looks different. Yeah, and I always wonder because in these films, it, it, it's not like, for example, even in the classic Kung Fu movies, whether it's the Shaw Brothers or the Golden Harvest one shot in Hong Kong on a studio, you recognize a lot of the sets. They don't really yeah. make much of an effort to even dress them up. Not just that, the same hillside they always shoot on in the new territories, a lot of the same little like jungle settings. You're like, oh, that's the same place in Buddhist Fist as it was in, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, Thundering Mantis, right? Like where they're practicing their uh, Patas or Talu. Uh, and so, but in these pictures, they'll have just these big extravagant open courtyards and buildings. And there's so many of them. And I'm pretty sure, 
I'm sure they reviewed some, but they all look different from each other. I'm like, what are all these things in, you know, South Korea? It's just, I guess, and I, I do wonder if perhaps it is, it's this amalgamation of South Korea's, well, we look at any sort of Asian territory in the 20th century, there's a lot of colonization. Then we obviously have global politics that played into that. So there's going to be this influx of architecture, cultural element from many different societies. And Korea, you know, obviously is going to have a lot. I'm sure there was Chinese immigration, then obviously World War II and being ruled by Japan. And, you know, the effect that had on everything from language to culture, martial arts, so forth. I mean, we had areas like Manchuria, which was just very diverse and mixed up. That would be in mainland China, obviously, but close to Korea. So I'm not sure. I'm not a, you know, an archaeologist. I'm not an expert on architecture, but it just appears that perhaps these, these settings are just kind of neutral looking and then you dress them up to look more like that specific culture, right? Yeah. And I mean, and, and you know, when they walk in, when Jackie Chan and his, his master's wife and daughter walk into the first time to the patient's clan, or not the first time on when he asked him to come back on the third day. So right. when they first arrive, it's on the anniversary of his teacher's death. He yeah, asked him to come sequence. back on the third day. Beautiful, beautifully shot. And like to be able to like just showcase the architecture and then going back and further and further. And obviously, you know, it's letting us know how rich this, uh, how rich the patient's clan is. But also it's just like showing off some really beautiful like architecture and, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my old boss, uh, Mr. Hirohiro Kazukosaka used to talk about like the, like the transition space, the veranda, like you're, you, by not just meeting them there, uh, and having to go through this, you're actually transitioning and it, it can actually like adjust your emotion a little bit. He used to tell me that, uh, there was this one restaurant we liked going to that was just right there out on the open and, uh, in little Tokyo. And he said, Oh, one day this is going to be closed. I'm like, why we, we love it so much. He goes, because people don't want to just get out of their cars and walk right to the restaurant. Like he said in, mm. in like in Japan in his old town, like what people like doing is like kind of walking through the best restaurants. You kind of walk to the opening and then you have to go through a little garden before you get to the restaurant. So you actually prepare yourself for this, uh, special meal so they were like kind of going through these like yeah. different uh, areas preparing themselves for this very special meeting that you know they were there for revenge but the the guy was there to 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 make amends you know by showing them the golden sign and by showing them his severed leg which was waiting in salt yeah. for them you yeah. know for three years uh, some sort of preservative yeah yeah and you know by then you know the mother was willing to no longer seek revenge and you know that that just that that long walk um is just sort of a, a nice piece to to also even give the audience uh a little break from just we're here for a fight yeah and that's such cool insight that i had never realized but makes a whole hell of a lot of sense and it's funny because you'd think like the set designer for this film, like, well, he did a really good job. He probably said, well, I just showed up. I put up a few Chinese signs with Chinese characters, right? But yeah. uh, <laughs> the other part is you say how the patient's plan has so much money by how big and extravagant it is. But jokingly, it's almost like I want to disagree because I even thought when Jackie uh, goes to their, like, I don't know what you call it, the house where they're staying, Jackie and his master and his kung fu sister, it's the same thing. He walked in, it's this long shot of him walking in their big giant open courtyard and then they have their double room. And I'm like, that's a nice Airbnb, shoot. Like just everyone <laughs> here lives on these giant like properties where, and it's not for functionality's sake. It's not like they're farming or anything. It's a big, beautiful, open. And uh, same thing though. It's like you, you follow him and there's just some great elements of cinematography in that sense and camera work that coincide with these fantastic sets they're using. And I just have to believe that it's not low way, not to take away from him, but just simply because I've watched plenty of his movies before and it's not something that, you know, it's not like he was known as this prolific filmmaker with this yeah. eye for elements like that or and especially dynamic camera movement. So the, 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 the camera movement in particular in this film, I just really appreciate it. And sometimes it was the lack of camera movement. There's one sequence where Jackie does a, a scissor kick, mm -hmm. you know, and like often something like that would be milked or shot from multiple different angles. They just right. shoot it from afar. And it's, 
it's just showing off what how talented this this young man at that point in time, how talented this young man is, and not taking away. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of these shots are just like paintings with with movement inside wow. the paintings. Uh, so it's just I I don't know if that was Jackie's influence. I don't know if that was low ways not there. So the cinematographer said, Hey, Jackie, what are you going to do in this scene? And I, I want to shoot it this way. And they, they had sort of like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call it? Anyway, they had like free reign. They had their well, artistic license. And I'd imagine, I, I do want to give credit for, to Jackie. And I imagine that scenario you just said is probably most likely what happened because as someone, and I can speak this from someone that, lived and worked in China for over five years, if I volunteer to do someone else's job, they're probably going to let me do it. Yes. And they're like, you know, even with my like assistants when I was teaching, it's like, hold on, I will take care of it. I will do it. So I'm like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so, so I'd imagine probably he just wanted, he's like, let me do it. I know how to make it look great. I want to do this, blah, 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 blah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, uh, to note, obviously, the score of this film is fantastic, which, it, you know, the, the original music for it is, you know, credited to Frankie Chan, kung fu actor slash uh, uh-huh. musical artist. But obviously, they take from the Sand Pebbles. That's like yes. the, 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 the 1960s American film, Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, Frank, Frankie Chan's a little bit of a DJ sampling. Yeah, yeah there you go. He was, he, he was way before, uh, you know, <laughs> the rap game ever even thought about that. But this was commonplace in Kung Fu movies, especially when it's like, how are you going to fight for the rights of that? And a lot of times when watching these movies, I try to shazam it and be like, name this tune. And if there's no other sound going on, you can find it a lot. Other times it just, you know, they don't know. And other times you'll be sitting there, maybe you're literally, you're like hundred times watching this certain movie and then it hits you like, oh, that's the movie they took that score from. And then yeah. even they'll, they'll sample other Kung Fu movies like scores that were original scores for that movie. And you'll find out later, like, oh, wait a minute. And for example, I was watching Where Where's Officer Tuba the other day, as I mentioned. And <laughs> yes. the music, and I was like, wait, it ripped this off from another movie. I know, I know it. And the D&B films of, uh, you know, they Richard Yuen did that music. And there's, there's a lot of musical cues and stuff they reused. But this was specifically for that film. And I'm like, wait, I know. Wait, it took it from somewhere else. And I realized, no, it didn't take it from somewhere else. But one of my all-time favorite Donnie Yen movies, Crystal Hunt, that we, you and I watched together, took the score yes. from Where's Officer Tuba and put it in their movie. I'm like, <laughs> that's where I know it from because I've seen that movie so many times. But, uh, man, I mean, we covered a lot on this. And yeah. you brought some great insight about that Japanese architecture and stuff. And I just want to reiterate how this is more than a nostalgia factor. This is just a fantastic kung fu movie. Maybe Jackie's most underrated movie, like, Overall, you know, uh, I sometimes say that about the film Gorgeous, of course, but this one of his early era, I think this really is the most underappreciated, underrated uh, Kung Fu movie of Jackie's or really any of the old school ones maybe ever made. And I feel like casual fans especially will love it. Hardcore fans, if you haven't seen this, uh, get a copy of it. It's on the Haya app right now. But even people not necessarily familiar with the genre might enjoy this one just because of how great Jackie's performance is. It doesn't have the comical elements. And one last final note about Eagle Han Ying. Let me ask you this. I've always thought he would have made a good Bruce Lee impersonator. I don't know why. The first time I saw him, I thought, huh, that guy kind of looks like Bruce Lee. But that being said, he looks a lot more like Bruce Lee than half of the Bruce Lee clones did. So yeah. But I mean, just that, Jessica saw him as I was rewatching this point. She's like, oh, that guy looks weird. And I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> well, he, I, has, I just, he has that very, like, those strong features, you know, very lean, kind of almost like low body fat percentage looking face. He looked like yeah. Roots in Enter the Dragon, if anything. Yeah. I, I, I just thought uh, he, he had a, he, I think he's one of the reasons why this film is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's playing like, third fourth fifth fiddle yeah and he and he doesn't you know his character doesn't come across making a stink about it he just goes all in on the character like my 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 vision of this guy's life is he had a good life hell yeah he's like talking to his kids his grandkids oh yeah i made a couple movies with jackie chan or i made a couple movies yeah uh with uh gordon lou you know just just kind of enjoyed his life and film the film career did not 
determine his life. It was just a, a happy place that he visited for a little while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we, we've heard this story many a time with a lot of like fighters, right? Or, you know, they did yeah. a couple of movies and no bitterness. They just go, like, yeah, I got to do a couple of movies. It was fun and right on. Yeah. So uh, any final thoughts? I'll tell you when I stopped, when, when this movie was over, I, I couldn't go to sleep. I had to watch like a little comedy, just take a little moment to you know, turn off everything and then throw on a, like yeah. 30 minutes of comedy because it, it's, it's really intense and it's done very well. And, and, you know, I'm glad you picked this movie. I'm glad you mentioned it because it had been so long. Uh, it was nice to go. It was definitely very nice to revisit. And uh, it definitely stands out over definitely over all the, over, many of the low way films for me uh oh yeah and you know it just it's it's if if you want to let you if you want to get a little adrenaline rush it's the movie to watch the backstabbing is great mm-hmm. and uh final note for me on this film for kung fu movie fans plenty of fight scenes the fight scenes come a lot but the nice part is they don't get repetitive they're fresh and exciting throughout the whole movie. It's one of those movies you're like, yeah, it's another fight scene. Not like, uh, oh, I'd, I'd rather wait a little bit, but okay. No, they're all great. There's plenty of them. The finale is fantastic. Go watch Dragon Fist starring Jackie Chan. Agreed. All right. So uh, we haven't decided what our next one's going to be yet. We have a few ideas. So I mean, we'll, be, we'll be back next week per usual. Uh, Maybe we'll do another review. Uh, it's been a while since we've done just a straight movie review. So uh, this is fun. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll try to do more of these. Uh, we have some cool ideas. We have some potential guests lined up. So you'll be uh, hearing from us soon. All right. It was good seeing you. It was, it was good seeing you. All right. Peace, brother.